boldness to accomplish a task comes with having confidence. And having confidence in what is needed to be able to accomplish that task. We will be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 as we continue our study through Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. But we will pick up in chapter 2 and we will try to get through, attempt to get through, hopefully about the first five or six verses if we can. But as we consider the subject of boldness, to be able to have the boldness to speak, to be able to have the boldness to carry out something, comes from having confidence in something. You know, it's kind of like Abraham. Why did, why did Abraham have the confidence that he had when he went to offer his son Isaac on the altar? And matter of fact, responding and, and absolutely just placing all of his trust and confidence in God alone, knowing, and he knew because of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, it, even, if, even, if, even if he should allow, if God should allow for Isaac to be taken there, God would have to raise him back up. What about David? I mean, how, did, how in the world did David have the confidence that he had when he went to stand against and to stand up against Goliath? And we all, we're all familiar with that particular account in the Scripture. But what allowed David to have the confidence that he had? Let me tell you why. He had seen God already deliver him before. And so he had the absolute confidence knowing that God would give him. And, and matter of fact, David had such boldness when he went to stand up against Goliath. He said, how dare anyone defy the God of Israel? And then you fast forward from David. And as you fast forward from David, you find yourself in some of the Old Testament prophets. And even under the Old Testament prophets, how was it that they had the absolute confidence, uh, confidence in delivering the message that they delivered when they were told, you're going to deliver this message, but the people are not going to listen to you. And matter of fact, even ones like Jeremiah and even ones um, like Obadiah and Amos, even Ezekiel, Ezekiel was scorned, Ezekiel was ridiculed, Jeremiah was thrown into one of the deep, dark dungeon areas, okay? But they had the absolute confidence in God, regardless of where they found themselves in their circumstances. So my question today is, where did it come from? Where in the world did they find the confidence that was necessary? Well, the ministry of Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Thessalonica was not an empty labor. Paul's labor was not empty. Silas's labor was not empty. Timothy's labor was not empty. And my dear friend, for us, serving under the confidence of Almighty God Himself and having confidence in God Himself and absolutely understanding what it says in Hebrews chapter number 4 that when we come and approach the throne of God, we can come with absolute confidence or boldness when we enter there. Where does it come from? Not from ourselves. But where does it come from? So as we come to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, 
I want to share with you this morning four things that I believe attribute to the confidence of Paul. The ministry of Paul and Silas and Timothy had a powerful impact and a far-reaching effect in the lives of the people of the city. Matter of fact, to the point that they were run out of Thessalonica because of their gospel witness, because of the boldness of the gospel witness, they were ran out of Thessalonica. And matter of fact, when they went, made their way out of Thessalonica and Tabria and then eventually down to Athens and down to Corinth, what allowed Paul to continue? Even though he was sent out and even though he was thrown out of Thessalonica, he still continued with the same boldness to deliver the gospel regardless of where he was. What allowed that to be a part of his life? Well, I think the first thing, as we come to chapter number two, is found in this thought. Paul's confidence in the power of God and the Holy Spirit is what gave him boldness to proclaim the gospel. It was his absolute confidence in the power of God and the Holy Spirit. That's what gave him the confidence to proclaim the gospel the way that he did. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter number 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. That word vain there is an empty word. It means, it can mean empty. It can mean ineffective. It can mean fruitless. And so here's what Paul said. He said, I want you to understand something. Our ministry, our coming to you was not empty. It was not ineffective. It was not fruitless. And matter of fact, we saw fruit for our labor. We saw it had an impact on those who were in Thessalonica. And we know very well that it was not empty at all, that there was substance to what was brought to them. But also, let me say this to you this morning. Just because they had confidence in the power of God, and just because they had confidence in the Holy Spirit to proclaim the boldness of the gospel or with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ, it did not, it did not come without its difficulties. You say, Brother Robert, what are you talking about? Well, Paul makes a reference to Philippi down in verse number 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi. Now, I want you to understand, now he comes to Thessalonica. He's already been mistreated before. So, you know, it's one of those things is, is, is what causes Paul to get back up? I mean, what causes Paul when he's been knocked down, when he's been, been persecuted, when he's experienced suffering, when he's gone through all of this stuff? What allows Paul to get back up on his feet again? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And let's just look at this account of Philippi. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through verse 24. Let's do this. We'll just start in verse 14. So a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, 
come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. And he turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. And they're proclaiming customs, which is, it's not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And so the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them, with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. For what? For sharing the gospel. For preaching to them Jesus Christ the crucified. Did it stir up the Jewish community that was there? It did in Thessalonica. Why? Because they were hearing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he was. And that he was crucified and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. And it created a stir. And let me say this to you today. That hadn't changed. Does the sharing of the gospel still create a stir? It does. Does it still create a... uh, just this apprehension and this anxiety and this and this anger and and, and just absolute uh, dismay it does the gospel and the presenting of the gospel has not changed things but Paul here they're thrown into prison when they leave from here you notice as you go to chapter 17 of the book of Acts you find them in Thessalonica if you don't get anything else this morning here's what I want you to understand What drove Paul? What motivated Paul to do what he was doing? Why was Paul able to say, when he came to the end of his life, he said, I've kept the faith. He said, I've fought the fight. fight. My life is being poured out like a drink offering. I am ready to be offered. I am ready to go. I have finished everything, God, that you've called me to do. How could he say that at the end of his life? Let me tell you why. Because of his confidence in the power of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. He'd seen God work over and over again. 
He had seen the Holy Spirit move. He had seen God do things that just absolutely, there's no way that you could address apart from God himself. Well, but there's something else about this. Paul's confidence also was not in himself. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Paul made it very clear that his confidence was also not in himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, we, we talk about this and sometimes I think we get more hung up on what his thorn in the flesh was more than what the real reason behind it all is. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 9. One of the things Paul knew is the confidence that he had was not from within himself. And so when you look at verse 9 and verse 10, I want you to notice what the scripture says. Did he battle with a thorn in the flesh? He did. Did he pray and ask God to take this thorn in the flesh, uh, flesh away from him? He did over and over again. Did God remove it? No. What did he tell him in verse number 9? Notice the words clearly. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in what? In weakness. Most gladly, therefore, notice as Paul writes, Therefore I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We get so hung up today, we're afraid to voice any of our weaknesses because we're afraid it may make us look weak. Well, my dear friend, let me share something with you today. We need to get to the point that we understand it's not about us, it's all about Him. And our weaknesses that we have are made strong when we get our confidence from Him. The end of verse number 9 is key. And it says, So that the power of Christ may what? May dwell in me. And then look at verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. Hmm. You notice what he said? I'm content with my weaknesses. I understand I have weaknesses. Every one of us in this building have weaknesses. And so when we consider our serving and our life as a believer, understanding our weaknesses, and notice what else he says in verse 10. He said, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm what? Boy, that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? How in the world can I be weak and strong at the same time? Let me tell you what, let me tell you what, that, what Paul is saying. My strength's not in me. It's in Christ. My strength is not in me. It's in Christ. So the confidence that we need to share the gospel with boldness, we need to understand that confidence is not from our own abilities or strengths but it comes through the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. And I want you to notice another phrase in verse 2.
But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. The gospel of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. I want you to notice the phrase, the gospel of God. That's an interesting phrase, and it's important when you think about it. Here's, here, here's, here's the way Paul understood the gospel. That phrase, the gospel of God, describes the gospel from the truth that God is the source of it. God is the source of the gospel. The redemptive plan of man is not some afterthought that came about. The source of the gospel is God. The Son was given from the Father. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died, was buried, rose again the third day. Understanding that through the power of God, Jesus Christ raised from the grave in a bodily resurrection. So where do we draw our power from? Not from within ourselves, but from God and the Holy Spirit. Number two, Paul's confidence also came from the truth of the gospel. Look at verse number three, from the truth of the gospel. For our exhortation that word exhortation means our cry or our appeal from our cry or from our appeal it does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit there's no error in the gospel there's absolutely no impurity in the gospel and there's absolutely no way of deceit now, what, is that, what does that mean, what Paul is saying here about the gospel? There was no error. It was not false. It was not untrue. It was not heretical in its teaching. And even though Paul and them in Thessalonica were considered to be teaching something that was heretical, it is not. It is absolutely truthful. It is absolutely the gospel from God himself. There's no impurity in verse number 3. What did Paul mean by the word no impurity? In other words, there was, it was not immoral. It was, there was no perversion to the gospel. And so why is Paul going through all of this? It's because of one of the things that he was having to deal with in Thessalonica. And the persecution and the things that he experienced even at Philippi with the false teaching and all of those things. And matter of fact, here's what Paul himself said. If you preach anything other than the gospel of Christ, let you be what? Accursed. There is no other gospel. There is no other way. But how much confidence and how much boldness do we have in understanding the truth of the gospel? It is truth. It is not false. It has no heresy. It is not immoral. There's no perversion. And specifically, no deceit. And what did Paul mean by the end of verse number 3, or by way of deceit? In other words, there's no trap. There's no trick to this. In Paul's appeal for the gospel, I'm not trying to trap you into it. I'm not trying to trick you into it. I'm not trying to coerce you into it. I'm not trying to force you into it. There's nothing immoral about the gospel that's being proclaimed to you. There's absolute truth in the gospel. You can understand the gospel in its simplicity and in its clarity. So there's nothing I'm trying to do to force you. 
But Paul said, here's the gospel. And ultimately, the choice, Paul's, the, the choice comes down to you and what you will do with this one called Jesus in your own heart and in your life. Number three, Paul's confidence came from knowing that his calling came from God and that he was accountable to God. See, sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Paul did not have any problem with understanding his calling from God. On the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus Christ, forever changed his life, turned his life upside down, inside out, to put it mildly. Matter of fact, Paul never would have considered he would be doing what he was doing on that road to Damascus that day as he was going to bind and to find other Christians to bind them to bring them back to Jerusalem. Even for possible death. Matter of fact, Paul himself said, There was no one more zealous of God than I am. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. He goes through his entire pedigree of who he was. And if anybody could have, could have boasted within themselves, it would have been Paul. But that's not where it was. Paul understood his calling from God, and he understood that he was accountable to God. I think one of the things that all of us in this building need to understand and realize, every single one of us one day will give an account before God. Of one of two places, either at the judgment seat of Christ for believers or at the great white throne judgment of God for the lost. Please listen to that. What about believers at the judgment seat of Christ? What happens at the judgment seat of Christ? We'll give, we'll give an account for those things that we've done for the Lord and our service for Him. Matter of fact, they'll be tried by the fire very judging fire of God himself to see what sort it is to see what manner it is to see if it comes out as gold, silver and precious stone or as wood, hay and stubble to be burned up how important is what we do matter of fact the motive behind what we do the motive behind how we serve how we minister is our confidence found in the power of God and the Holy Spirit is our confidence not within ourselves does our confidence come from knowing our calling with God and being accountable to God? It should. One of the things that you'll find about Paul, Paul did never, never did. He did not minister or preach the gospel on his own authority. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5. And verse number 11. Verse 10 and verse 11. Notice Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We do what? We persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. In other words, we're, re 
okay we stand open and revealed toward God himself that's who we are that's who we are turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and look at verse number 8 Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8 This is, if you don't get anything else, here's what, I I want you to see if you could just catch a glimpse of how Paul saw his task. I, I want you, if you can, just to catch a glimpse of how important this was to Paul. Look at verse 8. Notice what he says. Chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 8. To me, the very least of all saints. Now, I'm going to tell you something. How many of us in this building today do not put the Apostle Paul the least of all the saints? Huh? That's where we place him. I want you to notice where he placed himself. He said the least of all the saints... He said, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, which was given to me according to, I'm sorry, to preach to all the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. To do what? To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is that the way we see the gospel today? Is that the way we see the things of God today? What motivates us to do what we do? And then let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Verse 11 and verse 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 12. Notice what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, with which I have been, what? Entrusted. Entrusted. I think... Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service. Paul's confidence came from knowing that his calling came from God and that he was accountable ultimately to God. See, Paul clearly understood that God knew and examined everything in his heart and life. Let me ask you a question. Do, do, do we understand the significance of that statement? That every one of, in the, of us in this building, before a holy God, as a, as a believer, do we understand the magnitude of what Paul's written here and how important it is? And then number four. Watch number four, and these all build on each other. 
Number four, Paul's confidence also came through his pleasing God and not man. At the end of the day, it was not about the judgment of man. It was about God himself. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians and let's look at verse 4 through verse 6. And Paul says, just as we know we've been approved by God. And Paul had that absolute confidence knowing that his calling came from God. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... So we speak. And notice what he says next. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, notice what he says, we might have asserted our authority. Paul said, the one I answer to is the one I'm responsible to. I've been entrusted with the gospel, so therefore the boldness that I have came as a result of my desire to please God and not to please men. That's why he was able to say I didn't come with flattering speech. He didn't come with anything to be able to tickle or to please the ears. But it was about the whole counsel of God. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through verse 9. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through verse number 9. He's writing to the church at Galatia. And notice what he says. He said, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you. He's to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, notice what he says, I would not be a bond servant of who? Of Christ. I would not be. If that was my intent, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. So what do we do with this? What do we draw from this? What do we take from this? Here's something I want you to think about. Paul never abused his authority. 
but he ministered with humility, understanding his accountability to a holy God. And I think sometimes for us, if we're not careful, we can come to the point or we can come to the place that we think that all the authority lies with inside of a man when ultimately, at the end of the day, all authority resides in God himself. So what do we do? How do we see our lives as being entrusted with the gospel? I think the words of Jesus will help kind of bring an application to all of this and to kind of close Paul's thought out here. But let's go to Matthew chapter 20. These are the words from Jesus himself. And I think they will do very well to to help us see and, and understand this. Matthew chapter 20. Beginning in verse 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, We are able he said to them my cup you shall drink but to sit on my right and on my left this is not mine to give but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father verse 24 and hearing this the ten became indignant with the two brothers verse 25 but Jesus called them to himself and here's where he kind of brought it all together you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. Verse 26. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. not about us being served it's about us serving with the confidence in God himself and the Holy Spirit confidence in the gospel knowing that it's absolutely true confidence in our calling and being entrusted with the gospel and then having the absolute confidence to know that what we've been called to do is not to please men, but to bring them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you finish strong? How do you come to the close? How do you come to the end? How do you just keep pressing in? How do you, how do you, how do you keep pressing in? When you understand those aspects, that's what Paul allowed, that's what allowed Paul to be able to come to the end of his life the way that he did. So what did Paul and Silas do that night in jail in Philippi? 
Come on, y'all know that story. Now, y'all are looking up here at me like, oh, what do we do? Huh? They did what? At midnight. I'm going to ask you a simple question. What allowed him to sing praises at midnight after he'd been beaten and thrown in the innermost part of the city? I can tell you why. It's because of where his confidence lay. Even if God had not delivered him, watch this, even if God had not delivered him out of the prison, God still would have delivered him. Are you ready for this? Because he was already delivered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So where's our confidence at? It should be in him. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father.